So along with, with clubhouses and treehouses, we're going to be talking about membership a little bit this morning, but not church membership, just, just membership in general. What, what are you a member of? If you were to look in your wallet or your purse, um, what, would, what kind of membership cards would you find? Maybe, maybe you're a member of a gym. Maybe you, you pay a certain amount of money a month so that you can go to a gym and work out or maybe sit in the hot tub. But you have a membership to that gym, right? And you, in order to get in, you have to prove your membership. You have to show that membership card. You have to show, I belong here. I'm a part of this. And if you don't, then they won't let you in, right? Maybe you're a member of a country club. And, and I don't know exactly what that would be like, but maybe, maybe you have a membership at a country club. But I do, I do have membership somewhere. I am, I am a member somewhere. I'm a member of Costco. It's true. I have a Costco membership. And there's something honorable about being a member of Costco, isn't there? Because you walk up to that big bay door, and you've got the bouncer standing there, checking to make sure that only members come in. And so you pull out that membership card, and you show them, and you say, I'm allowed to be here. It's okay for me to be here. I can buy stuff here. I'm a member. And so you have that, that honor of, of going in as a Costco member. But there's more. I'm not just any old member. I'm an executive member of Costco. It's a pretty big deal. Yeah, it, it means I... <laughs> no, no. It, it only means I spent twice as much on my membership each year. That's it. But it's worth it because when you walk in and they see the executive membership card, it's different. They see the executive membership card, you see a little twinkle in their eye, you know? <laughs> like, oh, here's one of our executive members. Wonderful. Come, buy whatever you want. <laughs> and I'm joking around a little bit, but there's something true about it, isn't there? See, we find honor in that membership, in that community. And as we talk about honor and shame, we've been talking about honor and shame the last few weeks. One of the things I realized this week is that honor and shame only happen in community. The guy living in the woods alone has no honor or shame unless he, has, unless he interacts with other people. That alone, by yourself, there's no honor and shame. It only happens within community. And so we're going to continue that, that topic that we've been talking about the last few weeks that Pastor Bob has talked about on honor and shame, and we're going to look at, and, and, and as we talk about honor and shame, we're talking about specifically from the gospel, that, that message that Jesus has died for our sins. And, and we've, what we've realized is that we're, because of where we live, because of the people that we're around, we've seen it from one perspective. We've seen it from a guilt and innocence perspective, but there's so much more to it. And as we come, I, I like to think of it as a cube, and as we come around the side of the cube a little bit, we see that honor and shame, the gospel has an answer for honor and shame that we deal with as well. And so we're going to continue that in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, and that's on page 976 in your pew Bible. And I want to start just by reading the first three verses in Ephesians chapter 2. So once you get there, if you, uh, if you want to just follow along as I read. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's bleak. There's one big idea in that section. You were dead. 
you were dead. And as we talk about that death, that death goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. On that day, Adam and Eve rebelled. You see, God had told them, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And yet as a kid, I was always confused because they didn't die that day. In fact, they lived several hundred more years before they died. So why does God say that? Well, eventually they do die, but they do die that day. A different kind of death. Spiritually, that day, they died. When they rebelled against God, when they turned away from God, that relationship was broken. That wall came down separating God and man. And there was no more spiritual life between them. Adam and Eve were spiritually dead. And we've been dead ever since then, spiritually dead. And there's a couple other phrases I want to point out in those first three verses. Sons of disobedience, children of wrath. All of these words are are shameful words, right? He could have just said, you were bad people, you were sinful. No, no, you, you were children of disobedience, or sons of disobedience, children of wrath. That's a shameful word, to call somebody a child of wrath. And, and as he talks about the prince of the power of the air, you, you were children of Satan. And you feel the shame of what he's talking about. That we were spiritually dead in our sins. That's not the end, though, is it? We get to verse 4. We get to verse 4, and two of the most important words in the Bible are there. But God. See, you were dead But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You see, we were dead, but God has made us alive in Jesus. And we see a different set of words there, not sons of disobedience, not children of wrath, but grace and mercy and love. We were dead and we've been made alive in Christ. And that's that, very simply, that's that message of the gospel, the good news, that even though we were dead, we've been made alive in Christ. So we were dead and and we've been made alive. But it doesn't just stop there. You see, I was thinking this week, what if God had just restored us to where Adam was? He had just put us back to where Adam was. So he said, okay, you were dead, and now I'm going to make you alive, and I'm going to put you back in the garden with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This is your second chance. Good luck. Don't mess it up. What would have happened? We probably would have done the same thing again, right? No, he did so much infinitely more than that. And so often we read, at least in my experience, Ephesians, you know, one through five, one one through five, and then I skip right to to eight and nine. You guys probably know Ephesians eight and two, eight and nine. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's familiar to you. And we skip over a couple of verses there, and yet. They're so important, especially when we have the question of shame and honor. You see, God didn't just bring the dead back to life, but in verse 6, we see, he says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We were dead, we've been made alive, and then he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I think one of the reasons we skip over this part is because it's so hard to comprehend that God has done that. That literally right now, our status is seated at the right hand of the almighty God of the universe. We are at his right hand in Christ. You see, we were dead and he made us alive and then he's honored us. Far above what we could ever imagine. 
Pastor Bob talked about the, the honor-shame reversal of Jesus in that kind of that you diagram. That Jesus was honored and he came down to earth and then he died on the cross in that most shameful act that God could ever do, or God could ever be put through, I should say. That, that shame, and yet God raised him up and God seated him, Jesus, at his right hand in the heavenly places. And guess what? Jesus brought us with him. He took us with him to be seated at the right hand of the Father. We were dead, and we've been made alive, and we've been honored. And that's that message of the gospel. And he continues on. In in verse 7, we see that for the rest of eternity, we are going to be understanding more and more of what Jesus did when he did that. Um, that, That we'll never plummet the depths of what it means that Jesus did that for us. And then you get to verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. This is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You didn't do this on your own. You see, you were dead. What can dead people do? Nothing. We could do nothing to save ourselves. We were dead in our sins. It was only by the grace of God that he raised us up. It was only by the grace of God that he made us alive and that he honored us. And it wasn't because he saw something worthy in you. It wasn't because he saw something honorable or, you know, he didn't, see, he didn't see anything in you that caused him to do that. It was him alone, his grace alone. The dead were brought back to life and honored by grace alone. And he's now he's working in us. Verse 10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God did this great work, and now he's working in us to make us what he's already declared us. And that's that message of the gospel. That first section of Ephesians, we see that, that clear message of the gospel. And there's, there's one main thing I want you to get out of it, and it's, it's, it's vertical reconciliation. So I want you just kind of to, to, to think about this with me. We usually think about God being up. And so, so vertical reconciliation. Okay, so we have been vertically reconciled and honored to God. Okay? Be, through Jesus, because of the death of Jesus, we have been vertically reconciled and honored to God. And that's that message of the gospel, right? The good news for us. And there's more in the second half that we're going to see. But I want to stop right now and I want to paint a picture for you. I want to paint a picture of the temple. And if you don't remember what the temple looks like, that's okay. I just want you to, I'm going to describe a couple key points of it. And I want you to think through this with me. So we start in the temple with the Holy of Holies. That most holy place, the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was. Right, The Ark of the Covenant was there. And, and God's presence was there in the Holy of Holies. But there was a separation between that Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple, right? There was this big, thick curtain that separated the presence of God between the people. That, that same dividing wall curtain that came down when Adam and Eve sinned, right? That separated God from man. And so we have that curtain there. And only one person once a year could go into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. And it was risky, right? Um, they, they really had to prepare themselves for that and make sure all their sins were covered. And so, so we have the Holy of Holies, but it's not there anymore, is it? No. No, one day, long ago, it was a Friday. The Friday that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, right? And in the moment that the Gospels tell us, in the moment that Jesus died, that curtain was ripped in two, was torn in two from top to bottom, No longer is there separation between God and man. No longer is there that that wall 
we have been reconciled and honored to God. But that wasn't the only wall in the temple. That wasn't the only wall that was dividing people in the temple. There was another one. And the second half of Ephesians chapter 2 deals with that. And so as we jump into this, verse 11 says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. So we can see here that Paul is talking to, especially right now, Gentile Ephesians. If you remember, if you've grown up in the church, you you know there's two types of people. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. There's Jews, the people of God, and then there's everybody else. And so there's a good chance that most of us, if not all of us in here, fall into that Gentile category. And he's saying, at one time, you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. This isn't just a physical description of Gentiles. No, this is a shameful name-calling kind of thing, right? You uncircumcised pigs. Now, Paul's not calling them that. He's remembering that you were called that. Remember that that's who you were. You were separated from the people of God. And he continues on to describe this in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So, You were separated from Christ. Remember, Jesus didn't come. He didn't interact with Gentiles very much. They were separated from Christ. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Okay, Not not space aliens, but foreigners. Right? So they were foreigners from the country of Israel. They weren't Israelites. We weren't part of that nation. Gentiles were not part of that. And they were strangers to the covenants of promise. You think about the Mosaic covenant. God's people were under his covenant, under his promises. The Gentiles weren't included in that. So he's saying, remember... You were separated from God's people, from God's plan of salvation. You were separated from that, having no hope and without God in the world. That's bleak, isn't it? Does it remind you of anything? Maybe the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your sins. You are separated from God's people. Guess what, though? Verse 13, there's another but. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And there's so much packed into those two verses there. But I want to start with the the dividing wall of hostility. As I painted that picture of the temple to you, I described the, the veil being torn, and yet I talked about another wall A wall that was up, separating people. And that's that wall of hostility. You see, the Gentiles weren't allowed to come into the temple. They could come into the outer court, the court of the nations, but they weren't allowed to go any further than that. And there was actually, there was a wall, and there was an inscription on that wall that said, any Gentile who crosses this only has themselves to blame for their own death. Because it was the penalty of death for a Gentile to cross over that wall, to go in there, into the temple. They weren't allowed to. There was this dividing wall of hostility. And something interesting, Paul's writing this letter from prison. And one of the reasons he's in prison is he's been accused of bringing a Gentile into the temple. And, and that you can, you can feel the weight of what that would mean to the Ephesians, because um, it was one of, their, one of their own people that they had sent with him that he's being accused of doing this with. And so there's this weight even of, of their personal experience with this. And yet... On that same day that Jesus 
tore, died on the cross, tore that veil, he also broke down that wall of hostility. No longer is there a wall, is there a separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. They are one. And how did he do it? How did Jesus do it? It says here, the blood of Christ. Which really hit me this last week, because Pastor Bob last week, if you remember, was talking about, as he was talking about honor and shame, he was talking about clean and unclean. That, that this, this being unclean is shameful, being clean is, is honorable. And so we see this clean, unclean in the Old Testament law. And he talked about how, uh, how Peter would, get, would be unclean every day that he caught fish because he was touching dead fish. And so he'd be unclean until sundown. But you know what else is unclean? Blood. If you were to touch somebody else's blood, you would be unclean until sundown. That same thing. And yet, just as when Jesus touches the leper, he doesn't become unclean, but because of his great power, he makes the leper clean. He does the opposite. In the same way, his blood doesn't make us unclean. His blood cleanses us from all sin. And it's his blood that unites the people of God together. And what I'm going to tell you today is that this, the bond in the blood of Christ is stronger than the bond you have with your own blood relatives. The bond we have in the blood of Christ is stronger than the bond you have in your own blood relatives. So Jesus accomplished this through his death on the cross, reconciling the people of God together. And, 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 and then we see through, the, through these verses from, from 14 all the way through 18, we see this common thing. And so I'm just going to pick it out of each verse. In 14, he says, he has made us both one. Uh, in, in 15, at the end of 15, he says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. And then in verse 18, through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We see these, these, these common words, both, one, two. What God has done is he's reconciled the people of God to himself. You see, there was two. There was the Jew and the Gentile. And now God has reconciled both of them together to himself in Christ. I think of, I'm a visual learner, and so, so I think of the two and then the one in Jesus. You see, oftentimes reconciliation happens more sideways, right? We compromise, we come together, we both compromise. Or, or we submit, one submits to the other, says, you're right and I'm wrong. But that's never the ideal way to reconcile, right? Because one of you is always under the other, and yet when Jesus does it, what does he do? He says, you're both wrong. Come, come to me. You see, Jews don't become Gentiles. Gentiles don't become Jews. They both become one new man in Christ Jesus. And so we see this wonderful thing in the second half that we have been vertically reconciled and honored to God, and we've also been horizontally reconciled to each other. That the people of God are now one in Christ. We've been horizontally reconciled. And yet, what about the honor? See, I mentioned vertically we've been reconciled and honored, but have we been honored horizontally? Let's turn to verse 19. We see, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He's saying you're no longer strangers, you're no longer foreigners. Now, you are citizens, you are members and there's something honorable about being a citizen, isn't there? If you've ever traveled to a different country, on a plane maybe, and you get to that new country and you have to go through customs, 
and you've got your United States passport going through a foreign country's customs. And not that it's necessarily shameful, at least not everywhere, but, but you don't have honor, right? You don't have any rights. If they just say, um, sorry, we met our American quota today, you can't come in, they could do that, couldn't they? You don't have any rights. They don't have to let you in. And yet, when, you come, when you're coming back, when you put your feet on American soil again, and you've got your United States passport, there's something honorable about that, right? You go through customs, and what do they say? Welcome home. And, and you have rights. You are a citizen. As long as you're not trying to smuggle something into the country, you're fine, right? They'll let you in. And if they don't, like I said, you have rights. You can fight it. And so we see that, that honor in being a citizen. And that's, that's what God has done to us. He didn't just give us a green card to be in the kingdom of God. He didn't just give us a temporary visa to be in the kingdom of God. No, we are citizens in the kingdom of God. We are members of the household of God. And it goes even further than that. The next few verses describe something more, and we see it, we see it in, in verse 22. I want to skip down to verse 22. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know that temple we talked about? That temple's not there anymore. And our hope is not in a rebuilt temple, no, because now we are being built together into the dwelling place for God. Together, as the worldwide community of Christ, we are being built into the dwelling place for God. See, we have been vertically, we have been vertically reconciled and honored to God, and we've been horizontally reconciled and honored to each other. And that's that message of the gospel that we see in Ephesians chapter 2. It's so important for us to understand. And that's that main idea that I want you to get out of this. We have been, because of Jesus' death on the cross, we have been reconciled and honored to God and to each other. So what do we do with that? That's that question that kind of comes up with my mind. Because, is that true in your life? Do you feel like it's true? Look around you. I told you earlier that you were seated at the right hand of the almighty God of the universe. Look to your, look to your left or to your, yeah, look to your left. Is that the almighty God of the universe sitting next to you? So there's something different about what we've been declared. There's something different about what we've been declared. See, our justification, we've been declared. Our status is at the right hand of the heavenly father in Christ Jesus. And yet our everyday experience is a little bit different, Right? Our everyday experience, physically, we are still in a fallen world, even though we have been justified and lifted up on high with Christ. The church, we are part of a unified, perfect church in Christ Jesus, right? Now, this church is pretty great, but look at the church as a whole around the world. Do we all get along? Are we all unified? Is it wonderful? No. There's a lot of separation and difficulties. And yet, that status is, what it's been declared, is a unified church in Christ. You know, a little over six years ago, I was declared a husband. In front of a bunch of people, I was legally declared a husband. And do you think that in that moment, the switches flipped and I just became this wonderful husband in that moment? Legally, I was a husband, right? So, no, that's not the way it happened, right? And some things changed overnight, but guess what? I'm still learning what it means to be a husband. 
And when Jesus says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, man, I'm still working towards that, right? So even though I've been legally declared something, God is still working that out in my life to become a better husband. And it's the same thing with this. This is justification and sanctification. So we have been legally declared, sitting at the right hand of God, we have been legally declared this unified church in Christ, and now God's working it out. He's doing the work in us to make us more like Christ, to make us perfect and holy in him. And he's making us, as a church, he's bringing us together to be more unified in Christ. And the more we push towards Christ, the more unified we are together. So God has done, and he is doing, right? He's worked, and he is working in us. And so this brings me to that, that, that question, because I, I hope that I've explained a truth to you well enough this morning, that you understand your new identity in Christ and in relation to each other as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And yet, now what do we do? Because I don't want to just leave it there. There's something more. There's something that we do with that. And so I want to talk to a couple different people this morning, but, but first I want to give kind of the big idea application of, of what I'm talking about here. This, this big idea is that we have been reconciled and honored. Okay, the king of the universe has made himself shameful to honor us. We have been honored when we didn't deserve it. Now what do we do with that? Now we go out and we honor God and we honor each other. We honor God and we honor each other. And that's how we live in that new identity of members of the kingdom of God. And we have to remember that we never, we didn't do anything to deserve that honor. And in the same way, the people you honor aren't going to deserve it. But just as you have received honor that you didn't deserve, now you can honor others that don't deserve it. And so I want to talk to two people this morning. The first person I want to talk to is the person that maybe isn't part of that community of Christ, isn't part of that community of God yet, that you haven't believed, you haven't put your faith in Jesus for your sins yet. And so you're not a part of that, and yet you're here this morning. What I want to tell you is that this morning when you came in, the doors were open. You didn't have to show a membership card to be let in, right? Freely, you were allowed to come in here, even though you may not be a member of that community of Christ. And there's a very important reason for that, because we want you to see what this looks like. We want you to see what life with God, what life with each other looks like. We want you to witness that yourself. And the great thing is, is it's always open enrollment. You can always become a member of the kingdom of God. You can always become a member of this community of Christ that we have together. You can always do that. But I have to warn you, the membership price is high. It's expensive. In fact, it's more than you could ever afford. But it's already been paid already been paid by the blood of Jesus. And now you can come freely and become reconciled and honored to God and reconciled and honored to all people here. And you can do that right now by declaring faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. It's as simple as that. By believing on, on, on Jesus that he died on the cross for your sins, for your guilt, for your shame, so that you could be with him forever. And I encourage you to, 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 to say that right now, pray that right now. Become a member of this community of Christ. Become a citizen of the kingdom of God. And if you did that just now, we're going to talk about now how to live in that. And that's for the rest of us. How do we live 
in that new identity that I just described? How do we live that out in our lives? Because it should change everything. So how do we live in that new identity? That's the thing about honor and shame, is that we find it in community. I talked about that earlier. And you have this desire in your life to be honored by others and to honor others even. And it's not a bad thing. We're not, it's not arrogant. It's, 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 it's a God-given desire that we have. And so you're going to find somewhere to have that fulfilled. And it may be somewhere out in the world. Where are you having that fulfilled right now, your desire to be honored? Is it here in this community or is it somewhere else? And I'm going to tell you that how we live that out is in this community here. And we do that by being involved with it. You see, this is a family. I talked earlier about the blood of Christ being a bond greater than even our own familial blood, right? So we are a family of Christ here. How do we live as a member of the family of Christ? Well, how do you live as a member of the family? You, you be involved with your family, right? You, you go to family dinner. You get together at holidays. You interact with each other. You communicate with each other. That's what a healthy family does. And so if we're going to be a healthy family here today, if you're going to be a healthy member of that family, be involved with it. And I tell you, there's three ways to do that. Number one, worship together. You're here this morning, and you have an opportunity to worship this amazing God that has, that has made you alive and honored you, and we can worship God. And by doing that, we honor him and we honor each other at the same time. So we worship together. The second one is serve together. Jesus came down not to be served, but to serve, and he honored us by serving us. And the best way to honor each other is to serve each other. And so my question today is not, are you serving, but where are you serving? Because I'm going to tell you that it's not an option. And, 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 I'm, going to, and I'm going to boldly speak that, that it's not an option to be serving in the community of Christ, that we must do this because of what God has done for us. The outflow of that, of that is to serve each other. And so I encourage you, if you aren't serving somewhere, write on your white card, where can I serve? And make sure your name's on that and put that in the offering when it goes by. And we will talk to you about where you can serve, where you can honor others in this body of Christ. So we worship together, we serve together, and lastly, we grow together. We can grow some on Sunday mornings, but I'm going to tell you that the best place to grow in that is in those smaller groups throughout the week. Get involved with one of those community groups, small groups, growth groups, whatever we call them. Get involved with one of those. And ever since we, we, we put another big emphasis on it last fall, every, day, every week I've been more and more convinced of how essential that is to be a member of the body of Christ. To be a member of the a citizen of heaven is, is to be involved in those smaller groups because that's where we can honor each other. And we do that in four ways. And I don't want to be too confusing here, okay? Three, worship, grow, serve. And then in grow, there's four W's. Ways that we can honor God and honor each other. The first one is welcome. We welcome each other. A lot of these groups share a meal together. We, we, we let anyone in and then we interact. We talk about our weeks. We just share life with each other. And that honors each other and that honors God. The second is worship. Somehow we, we, we worship God together, whether that's with music or with testimonies or some other way. We worship God and by worshiping God, we honor each other. The third one is word. We want to keep those times, that growing, we want to keep it tied to the Word of God because anytime we stray from the Word of God, that's when we stop honoring God and we stop honoring others. So our foundation is in the Word of God. And then lastly, we work. And that goes back to that serving one that we talked about earlier. 
How can, how can that smaller group work to serve someone else? And by serving other people, by honoring other people, we honor God. And that's how we can live in that new identity is by being involved in this community. And that's where we're going to be able to have an opportunity to honor others and to be honored ourselves. And that's where we have an opportunity to honor God. And so I want you to remember today that we have been vertically reconciled to God and honored to God. And we've been horizontally reconciled and honored to each other. And that Jesus did that through his death on the cross. On the cross, That we have been honored far above all others. And now our goal is to honor others. And to bring others into this community. To bring others into this family. We want this to be the kind of place where people walk in and they say, I want to be a part of that. So how can we do that? How can you be a part of that? How can you live up to being a citizen in the kingdom of heaven? Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for the great work that you've done in us, God, that you've done in the world, God, that even though we were dead in our sins, that you made us alive, and then you raised us up to your right hand, God, that you have, you have honored us, that you have reconciled us to yourself. God, we thank you for doing that. And Lord, I pray that we would, we would also see how you have reconciled us and honored us to each other. Lord, that you've broken down the walls of hostility, that there's no longer any distinction, that there's no Jew or Gentile, there's no slave or free. God, that we are one in Christ and that we live as a unified body of Christ together, God. And I pray that you would show us how to live both of those out, that we would live out our new identity in you as adopted sons and daughters. God, that we would live out our new identity with each other as citizens of a heavenly kingdom. God, would you work in us? Would you do that in our lives, Lord? We pray this all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen.